Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Michael Jr. That is me, uh, back with a full house on a Wilder Wednesday. Super producer Brandon Newman, my father, Mike Golick Sr., and our dear sweet friend, Charlotte Wilder. And guys, we have a great show for you today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us that five-star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel and right here on DraftKingsNetwork.com, 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern, live Monday through Fridays. We've got plenty to get to in the world of the NBA as we've got this lead up into the NBA draft tomorrow. All these questions about Portland, Miami, what's going to happen with Zion? And yet here we sit getting ready for the show today. And I've got Charlotte Wilder, who we have got to hold back like a junkyard dog because all she wants to do is tear into this story about the Titanic submersible and the search and rescue effort going on right now. We've got my dad in the other corner barging into the show meeting this morning. And all he wants to talk about is this play at home plate from the White Sox game and rules about major league umpires and the review process and i just want to talk about dan orlovsky's breakfast so i don't know where to start dad why did this white Sox play all of a sudden matter so much to you that you came banging into this thing yelling about the injustice at the plate because it was a horrific call i mean i hate to see injustices done to athletes out on the field i mean it was a play at the plate and for the white Sox catcher the the throw took him in front of the plate you know you're not allowed to um, block the base path anymore after the Buster Posey, you know, uh, injury took place, a catcher for the Giants years ago. And they said, okay, we need to stop having catchers block the plate. And, and the catcher's foot was on the plate, but the throw took him that way, tagged the runner out. He was called out by the umpires. Then it went to review and it was reversed saying that the catcher blocked the plate. And Bruce Bochy, the manager for the Rangers, went nuts. He got tossed out, said it was one of the worst calls he's ever seen after the game. I just hate seeing bad calls. I mean, and this one went to review. And the rule is you you can't block the plate. I get it. But also that the throw can take the catcher there. And that throw took the catcher there to being in front of the plate and tagged him out. It was a great play that I still don't understand why the review changed and called him out. I don't know. But it ticked me off. Not going to lie. I, I, I'm just amazed at the remarkable amount of passion there. Charlotte, I didn't see a minute of this. I know you're someone that appreciates error built into the model of sports, so this seems like it's all going according to plan for you. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. I've never ah! felt I've never felt more seen than, than you saying that I appreciate. Yes, I, I deeply appreciate error built into sports. I didn't see it either. I, I have to be honest, I haven't thought much about the White Sox uh, until uh, – the father of us all here uh, came into the show meeting with the call blaring from his speakers. Um, so, you know, I just hope everybody had fun out there, Mike. 
I, I do too. I hope they can right this egregious wrong. My father is standing over here making sure that injustices will not happen to athletes on his watch as best he can do about it. Charlotte, though, we're taking your eyes off the prize here. We're excited to have you this week. And we know you've just been sitting here. Have you watched anything other than coverage of the submersible and the search and rescue mission going on right now for the last 48 hours or so? I would say no, except I did finish season six of Selling Sunset, so I'm really, ah. I'm really on branded. But no, last night I purposely I got into bed early so that I could lie there and stare at my phone and refresh updates about the missing submersible. I have watched every. I watched the full CBS Sunday Morning thing. I read the blog post on Ocean Gate's website about how they don't like to regulate themselves, which has turned out to be a very bad idea. I know all the technical spe specifications of that submersible, which includes not having an escape hatch. So even if they are floating around the surface somewhere, they can't get out. The whole thing is so insane to me. I also am obsessed with shipwrecks and modes of transportation. And this just combines all of my interests into one place. So if you if you need any takes throughout the show about that, I will be here pretending to look at you guys, but refreshing the New York Times live updates about this missing boat thing. I was going to say, we've got now the latest is that there's been reports of a banging sound heard coming from the ocean. Brandon thinks that it's just the ocean settling in right now. It's still a relatively new house on the earth. You've got the shifting tectonic plates at the bottom. I kind of understand that thought process, Dad. There's a lot of noises that come from the ocean. You hope these are the noises that help get them saved, but with the propensity for orca stuff going on lately, I, I have my reservations on how all this might go. Oh my God, I need you two to stop it. The, the banging's <laughs> coming from the submersible. I mean, there's no banging at the bottom of the friggin' ocean. Okay? We don't know you that. Don't I mean, know that. We don't know we that. Come, no. come on. It's banging just at 30 minute intervals, banging at 30 minute intervals right in the area where supposedly this submersible disappeared. So to sit there, Brandon, I mean, you have a Notre Dame education <laughs> to sit there and, and say and the. the the ocean is settling. I I almost want to punch you in okay. the throat for that. Okay. Okay. Wow. That was my second take. To be fair, Brandon, my very first it. take was that is clearly whoever ate the submersible, trying to get bait and get more people to come down because they're more hungry. Like I think that's the fair take is that we don't know what's going on in the ocean. They're trying to search the size of Connecticut down there. You mentioned on the podcast uh, the, yesterday before we got started that we've explored space more than we've explore, explored the deep sea. So how can we act like we know what's going on down there? I think someone is trying to get more humans. They have a thirst for blood and they're hungry. So just just so I, I, I understand, your Two reasons are, second reason, the ocean is settling. First reason is Orca ate the submersible and is still hungry and is now banging somehow to lure more people down there. This, this is where son, you're going. Your son said Orca because that makes more sense and he uses a logical brain. I'm talking about the stuff we don't know about. I, I, I Listen, I, all that being said, I hope it's the crew. I believe it's the people in there that are banging at 30 minute intervals. I don't know. I think they're in the 20 some hours of air left. Listen, still the top of line here is, will they be able to be rescued? We have no idea. Even if they were at the, in the surface, they couldn't get out because they were bolted in from the outside with 17 bolts. So 
there's there's still a ways to go here, but to to try, I, I I don't know. I haven't heard any other explanation of the banging on thirty minute intervals of the ocean settling or orca causing it to get more people to come down. That one kind of loses me a little bit. Not gonna lie, <laughs> a a little bit. I, I'd say while we could theorize about the sounds coming from the ocean, the one thing that's happened with all of the time that we've now spent, like Charlotte laser trained on this, <laughs> is we keep learning more and more about OceanGate, the company that allows this submersible to go out here and uh, take people down to the Titanic as a part of this sightseeing venture. They've done this twice successfully, which I think is something that I didn't know. Charlotte, are you making a face that looks like it disputes that here? No, Do you no, have no. information to the contrary? No, no, no. I, I, they did. They did. Uh, the, a writer from The Simpsons, Mike Reese, uh, Mike Rice, I don't know how you say his name, he actually went down and successfully saw the Titanic. But you drop down, according to him, according to what I read, you drop down for like two and a half hours. It's insane how far down the Titanic is. The Titanic is two and a half miles under the sea it the pressure on this on stuff that far down is like 30 empire state buildings or something there's no light there i can't even fathom is that even the ocean anymore or is that like another realm i don't know what we call it but this guy went down there they dropped for two and a half hours they're supposed to have three hours to look at the wreck the guy got lost for two hours and 40 minutes he had 20 minutes to look at the titanic they took selfies through the little portal which, by the way, the window is only certified to withstand 1,300 feet of pressure, and they're 12,000 feet down. So it just seems like a, it seems like it was luck that it worked the first few times. I I think in so much of this, we're looking for someone to blame because you're right, Charlotte, we've got all those facts. Now it sounds like basically every industry expert around submersibles was sending letters to ocean gate, like, Hey, this isn't up to code. They apparently shirked the idea of certification, uh, by the major governing bodies that usually certify all these things. Dad, this was the money quote for me. This came from Stockton rush, the CEO who's down there on the boat. He said, quote, there hasn't been an injury in the commercial sub industry in over 35 years. It's obscenely safe because they have all these regulations, but it also hasn't innovated or grown because they have all these regulations. <laughs> this sounds like a guy who just thinks he's smarter than all the rest of the people in the industry that he works with imagines himself some inventor or someone that was going to push the bounds of this and may have effed around and found out. Well, I mean, to to his side of it, he went down twice, in, or, or he didn't, but I, I don't know if he was on the other cruise or not. That I don't know, but they went down twice and came up twice, right? I mean, so it worked twice. Now, how safe does that make it? I, I, I don't know. You still you still have to make the decision if you're going to spend $250,000 to look in there and say, there's basically one button, a window, a toilet, and a game controller, which is how we're going to do this. So you're an adult. You can make your own decision on if you still want to go, which, which is stunning to me. I mean, there is so much underwater we don't know, and in space we don't know. I don't want to go to either place but some people are going to do it and it did go down twice and come back up even though one time it got lost for like two and a half hour, or two hours or got stuck in the propeller or something had to be had to be uh, freed out of there by going back and forth kind of like how you get out of a snow drift it seems so listen I, I the end of the day man I just hope they get found I hope somehow some way this has some miraculous great conclusion that we find out uh, that they're safe, they're alive, they live, and we find out what went wrong down there. 
that could take some time here too because apparently uh, the people that usually tell you what might go wrong are called the DNV. I'm assuming it's like the DMV where it's the Department of Nautical Vehicles that this was not certified by. So you know it takes a while to process things at the DNV. So this is probably going to be something that's a little bit time consuming even after the fact. You got to go in for the paperwork. Then they don't give you all the paperwork. And then you got to come back around and get new paperwork. It's a whole process. All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. So something, one other thing that I would like to add to before, I know we'll move on. There's so much NBA stuff. There's a lot going on. Nick Saban had some great things to say. Uh, I do want to say the amount of hubris here is just absolutely insane when it comes to the Ocean Gate situation. It's actually not insane. It's too predictable. I watched the CBS interview with a CEO whose name is Stockton Rush, which is like the waspiest old money name you can get. His family was very wealthy. He built this company using inherited wealth. And it seems like this is a guy who has never been told no. And so he figured cutting corners has always worked before. Let's just put an Xbox controller in there and give it a shot. And I read a profile of him where he originally wanted to go to space, but then Richard Branson went to space before he could. So he was like, never mind, I'm pivoting. No one's done the deep ocean. It's like, oh, and he went down in the submersible alone the first time. He said it was for safety so that nobody else died if it didn't work. But he also said he really wanted to be only the second person to ever see the Titanic alone since James Cameron in 2012. So this is there's a lot of ego involved here. And it's all very predictable. And I do hope everyone's okay. I'm not, I'm not gloating. I'm not sitting here taking pleasure in this. I just think it is, it is all very predictable. Take it away, Mike. No, yeah, <laughs> listen, you can, you can absolutely wish for the safety of everyone involved, thoughts and prayer the hell out of this thing, while also looking at this and understanding it sounds like a Nepo baby diving venture and rich people doing the richest thing humanly possible, which is believing they know better than literally everybody else. There's a fine line between being a rich person who is using money as a means to fuel your own ego and someone who's actually an innovator pushing the bounds of the industry – we're going to find out where Stockton Rush sits on that line with his Mad Lib rich person name. <laughs> um, in the meantime, we do have, as Charlotte said, a lot going on in the NBA because we always hear in sports, deadlines drive results, and we've got the NBA draft coming up tomorrow night. 
And one of the easy results that's going to come from that is going to be Victor Wembignana going number one overall. Did you guys see the pictures of Victor Wembignana holding that baseball the other night? First off, wait, we've got the video of Big Vic's first pitch, <laughs> uh, I believe, at a Yankees game. Can we see that video quick, Isaiah? Promised you the Victor Wembignana first pitch. He will be the first pick on Thursday night in the NBA draft. All right, guys, here we go. 7-4. Oh boy. Let's love. see. Oh, oh. 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 <laughs> no. Oh no. They're, they're more often awful than good, aren't they, when other sports try and come to the mound? If I had to break that down, his whole body was going one way and his arm was going the other. <laughs> First off, let me just say there's nothing baseball people love more than for a second getting to feel like the yeah. superior yeah. athletes. Yes. When looking at the 7 5 mutant who can chuck up step back threes and who once lobbed the ball off the backboard from the free throw line to himself to dunk it. So the air of baseball superiority was definitely shining through there. But can I just say, for everyone that saw the picture of this man with the baseball in his hands before the pitch, and it looked like that Andre the Giant holding the beer can picture that's been yeah. memeable forever, there is no way he should be able to throw the baseball even as good as he did on that pitch. It was fine on a line. It was just off base when it came to where it was over the plate. I actually saw that video, felt even more comfortable about the fact that he's going to be a generational prospect because athletically, there's no way you should be able to do that with his gigantic hands and that tiny little baseball. I would say if we want to get any kind of feeling of that, uh, of the, the, the rate ratio there is go throw a golf ball from the mound, a, a, a regular person right. like us. <laughs> go to, throw a jelly golf ball. And, and throw it. That's what it looked like in his hand. It's incredible. I'm still amazed at, if you go to his Wikipedia page, it says he's 7'2". This has always fascinated me. If you're an athlete and you're six foot, in every program, you're listed as 6'2". And if you're 7'4", you're listed as 7'2". Tall guys want to be shorter. Short guys want to be taller. I'm always amazed with this. Dude, it says 7'2 everywhere on him. He ain't 7'2". He's 7'4 with an 8-foot you know, wingspan, it's stunning. I can't wait to see him play in the league and what he's going to do. And this whole crew that's coming, It's and still blows my mind that if you bet $20,000 on him being number one, he you will get $100 in return. I mean, could I'm trying to remember when there was ever anything more as a sure bet like that, where you could empty your bank account out just to make a few shekels. I did see, Dad, to your point about finding out his true height like that, uh, the interview with our buddy J.J. Redick over at Old Man in the Three with Victor Wembignana, where it looked like Ashawn Robinson sitting next to Derrick Henry, where J.J. Redick played in the NBA, was one of these guys, and looks like a tiny child next to Victor Wembignana. Charlotte, I'm not sure who lies more, NBA players on their roster height or men on dating apps, but it's a very close race right now. I think it's a I think the Venn diagram is a circle, Mike, if we're being honest. And I think it's I think it's probably all men just in general. Uh, but watching him on the mound was I, I don't think it's possible for people to actually conceptualize how tall seven four is. I, I think that until you are next to someone of that height, because you hear it and it's almost like trying to visualize three billion dollars like there's no way anything you have or are can even come close to it so you don't even have a reference point point. and i think that watching him on the mound 
like his cargo shorts are they're like little track shorts because i mean the guy's got to get some custom clothes made i love it i think it's endearing but that i think when i saw that i was like oh this guy is huge this guy is a very big person I'm just thinking about his cargo shorts have to have so much space that he could haul actual cargo. Like, you could pay Victor Wembignana to haul freight for you inside those cargo shorts. Easily. Oh, uh, I, um, I, I think it's fun. It's been fun because we haven't had this since Zion, and Lord Jesus, that's obviously gone awry. It's fun having the prospect that we all know is going to be number one. Like, it's different with Victor Wembignan and in general with this class because we can talk about it with Scoot Henderson and some of the guys that aren't coming from the college path is while the payoff might be the same, the buzz is a little bit different because we don't get to know them as well. We got Brandon Miller at Alabama. That was complicated this season. But with Zion and Duke, we had a prospect so undeniable and fun that we got to celebrate him all the way up to the finish line of the draft. And now, as we near Thursday night, with Victor Wembignana, a guy who we've basically all only seen cut-ups and internet highlights and the stuff from the French League that makes it to SportsCenter, we've got a dude that's once again so undeniably fun. And for Zion, it was... the freakish power and athleticism for big Vic. It's my favorite thing in sports, bigger, faster, stronger in a way that's easy to see for all the rest of us. spoon feed me Victor Wembignana all night. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. As we near draft night, uh, though, guys, the drama around the number one pick or any of the top picks, really for the reasons we mentioned, hasn't been there. It's been all about what might happen in the lead-up. Dad, did you see that the Portland Trailblazers, according to reports, are trying to reverse Uno, the Miami Heat, in the lead-up to the draft? So Portland's got the third pick. They've got Damian Lillard, who... The Miami Heat have been courting. It sounds like wanted to go after. Reportedly, Dame wants to stay in Portland and wants the team to get better. And then we got the little leaks the other day that Portland is trying to put together a compelling package to acquire Miami's Bam Adebayo. Dad, do you think either of these things actually ends up happening? Well, I, I think it's like, you know, the NFL draft. Anything you hear around the NBA draft is just, you know, you don't you don't take it worth anything. I, I don't it, it's lying season. You're just trying you're trying to set up how everything's gonna work for you. 
And I don't know what that ever accomplishes, quite honestly, the lying or the misrepresentation, which everybody does. Sometimes I think there's a whole lot of overthinking uh, in all of this on, oh, wow, maybe they're going to do this or do that. If we all know it's misinformation and lying, God knows inside the the sport, they know what's going on as well. So this, this is even a time where insiders, I think, have a hard time. Do I go with what I'm hearing or am I just being fed this because they know I'm going to say it publicly and then it gets out, you know, what this team, how they want to be represented in this draft or what they're going after. So I just choose to not care what they say. And that's that's taken me a couple of decades. You know, when I was young, like you guys doing shows, you know, I'd break it all down. Now I'm like, man, they all they are just lying out there. Let's just wait for the draft. And, and I'm just, you know what? I just am going to not listen. I'm going to go have a cup of coffee and watch some Netflix and not worry about it until the draft happens. <laughs> God, getting called young on air has the same like emotional release for me as getting ID'd at a bar at this point. It's just same. such a rush, and I enjoy it so much. Thank, but Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Senior. I, I do think with this situation, this reeks of Portland just trying to get this out there so it looks like they're doing something. Like This is like when I'm crossing the street and there's traffic, and I hit that little lineman shuffle move with my arms. My legs aren't moving faster, but I hit the arms to make it look like I'm doing something because, Charlotte, this relationship with Damon Portland is a classic relationship where one side loves the other more than the other does. Dame clearly loves Portland more than Portland loves Dame because Dame has been doing right by them, giving them a great player, staying loyal in circumstances that most people wouldn't. He just had to watch Nikola Jokic get rewarded for this same level of loyalty, although Dame is not as good as Nikola Jokic as a player. But for the longest time, Portland has not been able to really give Dame anything back that would actually lift him to the heights that we all want to see him at. So this just seems like it's, oh, well, they tried to get our thing, and so we're going to show Dame we kind of care enough to just keep him satisfied and around here for another few years. Yeah, it, the Dame and Portland relationship has always broken my heart a little bit because I think that in the NBA, you know, fans are always saying how, like, oh, players just go wherever they want to go. Nobody is loyal, you know, like the big market teams. Everyone wants to be in California or L.A. I mean, California or L.A. California, New York, Miami. Um, and for Dame to publicly say and then follow through on the fact that he wants to be in Portland and win a championship, it's sort of like that's all you could ask as a team that is – do you know talk about teams that need to win a championship I mean I I think that it has always blown my mind that Portland hasn't given him more players to play with that they haven't just done everything they can to build around this guy and for them to be like oh you want Dame we want Bam when everybody knows that's not going to happen when Pat Riley has said I hope he's here for his entire career and beside behind Jimmy Butler he was really the only guy who showed up in big moments, um, even though you could argue that he didn't show up enough because he didn't. But he's the thing that Miami has. And for Portland to be like, I think we're going to get him. It's just it's almost insulting. Well, I, you know, the the landscape has shifted. Right. And Damian Lillard is kind of treating the NBA like it was. You look at all the top players on their teams back in the day again. There, was, there wasn't this movement, right? They stayed with their team. And, and there was no thought of 
trying to move around and create a super team, right? You look at, at some of the greats like Magic and Kobe and Larry Bird and the stars of their teams, and there are plenty of others who in that era, you know, you just played with your team. It wasn't, you know, then you had Boston trading for players and all of a sudden they got a big three and won a title. And then the players finally got a voice or had the leverage to be able to kind of create their super teams. Dame is like playing in the past where he's saying, I'm going to stay with this one team where the landscape has changed. He could move if he wanted to. He could put himself in a position to be on a, a super team with one or two other stars, but he chooses not to. So it just seems odd to people because players are controlling their movement more today than they did back a couple of decades ago. But that's where Damian is. He's like, I'm happy here. I'm going to stay here. So we immediately look at the team, just like we do in Baltimore. Lamar Jackson's going to stay there for the Ravens. Why don't they give him some wide receivers? Why didn't they get some first-round wide receivers for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? Now it's on the team to say, okay, the team needs to build around the player if the player is deciding to stay like it seems Damian Lillard wants to do. I do appreciate Damian Lillard. So I've taken to looking at his likes because we don't hear a lot from him publicly. So I check his likes on Twitter every day for the last couple of days. And one of the rumors leading up to the draft, I saw this from Bill Simmons, is that a lot of people around the league expect Zion to get moved from the Pelicans. The Portland Trailblazers had that third overall pick. And some guy named Cameron Young at Young Heritage on Twitter tweeted in response to that article, get him to the Blazers at Dame Lillard and Dame like that. So I'm taking that as a tacit approval from Dame that he would not be upset if the Portland Trailblazers traded that third overall pick to the New Orleans Pelicans for Zion Williamson. Even in the wake of Spitgate, we now have no longer have Mariah Mills on Twitter. Um, rest in power to one of the great tweet through it icons of our time. Um, <laughs> but Charlotte, we've got that going on on one side. That's the situation I think everyone's going to be monitoring, right? What happens with Zion Williamson in the lead up to the draft? And is him to Portland, based on everything we've heard, enough to satisfy Damian Lillard here in the interim as this goes on? The other part of this is the Miami Heat equation, because now if you're looking at it from their perspective, you just lost in gutting fashion this NBA Finals. You've been to two in the last four years. You've got Jimmy Butler, who's run out of gas on those two runs, but seems the case capable leader but this offseason you had Pat Riley in the front office apparently lose out on Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns and Matt Ishbia and their lowball offer over there that somehow Miami didn't match because they thought they were going to have a shot at Damian Lillard in a way that flies in the face of history like Charlotte there could be people that look at this situation and wonder what's Pat Riley doing how have the heat lost out on this I actually look at it and kind of appreciate that Pat Riley doesn't reek of desperation here. That he's not going to make a move that might forsake the long-term future of this franchise or make a move that he doesn't 100% believe in for a player that's not undeniably great. Because why would he have to? They just got to the NBA Finals as an eight seed in the Eastern Conference for the second time in four years, like we said. I think it's also such an attractive destination for players to go to Miami for heat culture, for Spo to play with this team that clearly figured out how to get it done, that I don't think he needs to be desperate. I think he can take a second and figure out what the best move is. Um, something that is interesting about the Dame situation to me is, you know, Senior, what you were saying about he is playing in an old version of the NBA. It's He also has a no, he doesn't have a no trade clause in his contract. So he's choosing loyalty 
in a way where he's contractually not obligated to get anything back. And at a certain point, you know, you can see it as admirable that he wants to stay, or maybe he just simply likes being at home. Maybe that's his home now. And that's how, you know, you, you forget the life part of this whole thing. But on some level, it, it also is on him a little bit to be like, wait a second, am I not getting back what I'm giving? And when it comes to the heat and I don't know. I think that we counted them out all season as through the playoffs as an eight seed, and then they get to the finals. So I think that they probably need less than people think they do. They definitely need another piece or two that will get them over that finish line. Also, I think it would be kind of fun to see Dame there. I don't know. I, I, I know that it sounds unlikely that he said he wanted to stay, but like, what if this is all just some swirling smokescreen and that's where he ends up? I think it would be really fun. Well, I mean, I, I think that the two biggest things we're looking for, right, is Dame going to get traded and is Zion going to get traded, right? I mean, Zion is the, – the thing we keep talking about is New Orleans want to trade Zion, and then who who trades for him? You know, you're picking up a guy who who signed his, what, five-year, $193 million max deal, which can go up to, what, I think 231 if he makes an all-NBA team or another major award. But to do that, you actually have to be on the court, so we have to wait and see, which is, again, if you trade for him – He's just starting the extension this coming season, the 23-24 season. So you got a lot of years of him where he hasn't played an awful lot. So to me, that's that's a very interesting one. And I was reading, did you see the, the supposed weight clause in his contract with New Orleans? That his weight plus his body fat percentage can exceed 295. So the weight and the body fat can't add up to over 295. Which is interesting, you know. W w listen, Mike, we both played a sport where linemen had weight clauses all the time, and we see Zion, so you understand why he has a weight clause. But to me, you know, Dame getting traded, everybody would want him. Zion getting traded, we keep saying New Orleans would want to trade him. Does everybody want? Does are there teams that are clamoring to pick up that contract and have a guy who has clearly not been on the on the court because of of injury issues? And he has weight issues and certainly other issues as well. So I, I wonder what the market is for Zion out there. Well, I think it's the perfect kind of overture that Portland could make, right? Because at this point, Portland needs a grand gesture. They're like stepdad mode with Damian Lillard right now. You've got to kind of buy affection at this point because you haven't shown it in the other meaningful ways up until now. So that's the kind of grand gesture and chance on upside that they can take because we don't really expect much of Portland right now. That's just the reality of the situation. And so if you take the risk like this and it hits on a guy that we know is an undeniable talent versus dipping back into the draft, there's part of me we would look and go, all right, that at least shows that you're trying. And at this point, that feels like what Portland's looking for. We want to show that we're trying right now uh, based on the reports that we've heard. So that's everything we've got leading up to draft night. We'll dip more into that. Apparently, Charlotte Wilder and Pablo Torre are going to be at the draft covering it, um, sort of covering it. We're going to try and tap back in with them as our reporters on draft night leading up to see if any of the fireworks fly as we get closer and closer. Hell, by the time you're listening to this podcast, something could have popped off. I, I did want to get to this because, Charlotte, you brought up the idea of 
getting what you give in a contractual situation. And we heard this pop up in a space where right now that balance felt a little bit off to somebody. Nick Saban joined Joel Klatt for a long sit-down interview the other day and talked about a lot of things, talked about how he feels about the college football playoff and made this pitch about how, well, if we're favored by Vegas over two of the three teams or three of the four that would have made it, why aren't we? It's the textbook Nick Saban. When he is in front of the microphone, he is advocating not for the best interest of the sport, for the best interest of Nick Saban and Alabama. We all know that by now, so that's not surprising. What was interesting to me in the current landscape of NIL and the transfer portal and all that was this quote from Nick Saban talking about the dynamic between players and the teams that they are assigned to right now. Take a listen. You know, we're giving people scholarships. We're creating name, image, and likeness opportunities. But what is their commitment I mean, there's no place in the world where you don't have a contract. Uh, if you're going to receive benefits, you have a contract and an obligation to do a certain job. So when you can opt out, transfer, do whatever you want, whenever you want, I'm not sure the balance is quite right. Mm -hmm. It's because I think at the end of the day, when you create an atmosphere where somebody's tentatively committed to what they're trying to accomplish, you have to evaluate, is that really a good thing? Sure. Because we all need to be totally committed to whatever, you know, our goals and aspirations are, the sense of purpose that we have, if we're going to have a chance to be successful. Dad, couple that with the fact that Nick Saban went on to say that when Joel prompted and asked how he thought about players unionizing or potentially collectively bargaining so that something like this could be possible, essentially so they could become employees, Nick Saban said that's not something that scares him. And I think the further along that we go in this new process, where college coaches, all they want is control. And this entire NIL process with collectives that have come in and been these third-party people essentially creating salaries for players that aren't under the thumb of these coaches. I think the further and further along we go, Nick Saban won't be the last coach to kind of leak this idea that I don't really care if they're employees or not. That would actually make my life easier if all of a sudden the way we've been going about business here was codified so that we get a little bit of help when you have legitimate contracts instead of the things that are drawn up now that are still kind of ambiguous and we're still kind of wrapping our arms around. Well, I mean, a, a couple things there. Um, yeah, I, I could see coaches wanting that because they get a little bit of control back because now things are bargained and then you have a, a collective bargaining agreement that you're playing by and not the wild, wild west, which is the NIL right now. But I don't know how much school presidents and schools would like unionizing of athletes. I, I don't know how that's going to go, but Nick doesn't worry about that. He's worried about it from his side of it, the coaching side of it. And then, in all honesty, start with the quote when he started say. But what is their commitment? And go down the rest of what he said and put that in front of the freaking coaches out there, okay? Not the players, but the coaches. What is their commitment? I mean, there's no place in the world where you don't have a contract. If you're going to receive benefits, you have a contract and an obligation to do a certain job. Yes, you do, Nick. So say all the coaches out there who signed the seven-year deals and after two years of their obligation in the contract – they find or opt out somewhere else. And don't give me that they have to pay the opt-out fee or whatever that is because the new school normally picks that thing up. So I'm tired of that. I'm tired of that argument. I, I am. These players are finally in a position to make some money. That's cool. You got a coach, deal with it. 
All right. You get paid five, eight, ten million dollars a year, and you got to deal with some extra stuff now. Tough. You got to deal with it. Deal with it. Because all you coaches out there, you think when that coach goes into the the 18-year-old's house and says, I'm there for your son. You think the kid or the parents believe that anymore? And we know the hot young coaches out there that are with a team that you know they're going to end up on a bigger and better team at some point, okay? But they have a contract, they have an obligation, they're receiving benefits, and you know they're not going to be there. So to rip the kids for doing that, I find that a little hypocritical, quite honestly. Yeah, Charlotte, everyone's advocating for themselves in these processes right now. Because to Dad's point, look no further than what's going on at Colorado. The wholesale roster churn. Deion Sanders openly telling players, you won't be here after the spring game. This does cut both ways where a contract may afford players a certain level more protection also. But Dad's absolutely right that we've seen coaches operate with this freedom for years. And it's just the power dynamics change now. So they're all really uncomfortable because these players finally have the freedom they've been robbing done for so long totally I think when it comes to college football for a coach to complain about players not having the correct level of commitment um, when it is these programs that are built literally on their bodies always rings a little weird to me Um, and I think you're right I think I think when it comes to players being protected a contract as you said could be interesting Um, but but Again, if coaches if coaches aren't honoring their contracts, then there should be no obligation for a player to because you might come into one situation and then another kid comes in who's better than you are and you've got to go. If you want any shot of being successful, you have to go somewhere else. And so I just think that until, until there is – I don't think you can say anything to these players about commitment or about contracts when you've got – so much hypocrisy in the other direction. And and let me throw in finally, remember when the, I don't know if people know when these players get these scholarships, these are one year scholarships for four or five years. So the obligation from the school is year to year and not four years. So I, I, I get a little tired sometimes of the obligation thing. I will say some places that has changed to four-year agreements now, but in general, you're right that it's always been sort of lukewarm for everyone. And the biggest difference always to me in all of this, and Charlotte, you kind of got me there, is players have a four- to five-year window where they can capitalize in most cases, whether that's building up their stock to be picked at the next level or to make generational money with the talent at the best opportunity they're going to have at the college level that is wildly different than coaches who can, in theory, do this in perpetuity. And so that imbalance at the core of this is yet another reason why this rings hollow. All right, time to finish this thing off. This, that, the third, three quick stories to send everyone off into their day. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us that five-star rating and tell us more of what you want to see on here. Um, Guys, let's start with this. And uh, why don't we make this what we're watching? Uh, This is presented by Max, my first pick for winning entertainment. Max has HBO, hit series and movies, plus favorites from the DC Universe, Discovery and more. Max, the one to watch. Subscription required. Visit max.com. And guys, we've talked so much about Sunday night programming on HBO on this show. Feels worth mentioning. We got the Righteous Gemstones back. Season three's premiere this past weekend. We got two episodes that dropped. And It was a solid start to a show about, you know, Preacher's family and all the impropriety and things that go on there. 
I am most excited because it looks like this upcoming weekend we are going to get one of the greatest characters in modern television history back, Uncle Baby Billy. Charlotte, how fired up are you about this? I'm so fired up. When Matt, when uh, Righteous Gemstones first came on the scene in 2019, not a ton of people were watching it, and I watched it. I have not laughed out loud as hard as I did during that pilot. That was the funny, and I've also always just been a Danny McBride fan. In college, we used to watch Eastbound and Down, which is not held up, but there are some really great moments, and The Righteous Gemstones is does hold up and is really I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it but the the car chase in the first episode in that pilot is chef's kiss yeah it is listen it now the first couple of this season have been a little more drama-esque as they they change over to the kids kind of running it as Eli John Goodman has retired kind of semi-retired and now for Jesse and Kelvin and Judy to try and get along and stop bickering as they're losing people in the church and stuff. So it has been a little more drama-like, but I think it'll, it's still funny, but I think it'll get back more as that settles in to more of the comedy part of it. Cause I'm with you. McBride is absolutely hilarious. So I'm a, I'm a mon monster fan of this show. Yeah. I, I can't wait for more of it for everyone who watched if everyone hasn't taken the jump into this series and you're thinking about it it's also like very smart in the way it does all of this i saw um a writer over at gq i want to get his name right vince mancini wrote a piece about this show and basically said for everything that succession was as a commentary on likely the murdochs and the impropriety that went on there the righteous gemstones is kind of positioned as that for the falwell family and a lot of the things that we see go on in these religious mega churches so everybody check that out it is a ton of fun we'll probably be talking about that more and more as this show goes along as well but again that is what we are watching presented by max Guys, let's get to that, and let's check in on Shohei Itani, who is currently beating the absolute unholy hell out of baseball still. Itani entered Tuesday of this week, hitting 300 with an OPS of 1.016, with 24 homers and 51 RBI. Uh, he is now basically leading in most of these statistical categories over the course of this season. Looks like he could be in line for another MVP. And we have got to hear from the GM of the Los Angeles Lake, uh, Los Angeles Angels, excuse me, that right now they are unlikely to trade Shohei Itani as the Angels are miraculously still in playoff contention at this point. Dad, are you still rooting or were you ever rooting for Shohei to get out of Los Angeles so we could see him in a better team? No, I mean, I would like to see him on a playoff team there, and I wouldn't trade him now either. They're, they're right in the thick of the playoff hunt. I mean, they're only five out of their division. They're in their wild card race as well, but they're five away from from uh, the Rangers, though Houston's right behind them, just a half behind them. I, I, I hope that team with Trout, I mean, these are two of the best teammates, two of the great players to be on a team that hasn't done anything. So I'd like to see them with the chance to do something. And I've heard some people not impressed with Shoei because – he hasn't gotten him to the postseason. Of all the sports out there, I think baseball is the one where one player is not going to lead a team to the playoffs, unlike other players in other sports. So to hold that on a player is very, very difficult to do unless you have a collection of them. Now, you do have Trout and Shoei together, which is two incredibly, incredibly talented people. It just shows you in this sport that you need more, not that you need 
five superstars, but you need a better cast around the couple of superstars you have. So they're in playoff hunt right now. I would not trade them either. Let's see what happens. Well, this is difficult calculus on this decision, Charlotte, because the Angels are in second place right now. They've got one of the AL wildcard spots at the moment. Shohei Atani is 29 years old. He's probably going to be due up for a contract next summer when he would hit free agency that would be worth in the neighborhood of $600 million. And he is currently right now leading the major leagues in home runs, RBIs, and slugging percentage, as well as opponent batting average. He's a unicorn, and the thought here is, if you're the Angels, and you swing and miss on a postseason, and then all of a sudden you get to open bidding next summer, all you'd get back is a compensatory pick for a generational talent that you hit the lottery on and coming over from Japan. So, Charlotte, that's the difficult part where if you're the Angels, I probably don't begrudge you for holding on with both hands for dear life to this unicorn of a prospect. But there's also the some point where you've got to think about, do I get anything in return for someone that I'm more than likely going to lose? True. And also, I just want whatever's best for Shohei. I think mm. for such a generational talent, I just want to see him in the postseason. I think it would be the best thing for baseball. This guy is unbelievable. And I think there are a lot of people in the country who don't fully know that because unfortunately, most people start paying attention to baseball in September, October. And so to get him in there and to have him on a different uh, – yes, I would love it if he and Trout could do this together. I think it would be very exciting. I think that would be great for the sport too. But if they're not going to do it, they've got to – Shohei's got to be somewhere for the for the good of the game where he is going to make the impact that he can because this guy is – you can't say that the, the Angels haven't made the postseason because of Shohei. He has done literally everything humanly possible on offense and defense – to get them in a position to succeed and they have not succeeded. So at a certain point, it's like, what are you going to do? I agree with you, Charlotte. We all just want to see our large adult son, Shohei Itani, slug dingers and kill baseballs and the best team possible when playoff baseball is happening. Guys, let's get to the third, because if that's not a great headline for you, Shohei Itani potentially on the move, here might be one of the greater headlines written of all time. Wild story out of Stephen F. Austin bowling, where an assistant bowling coach resigned after getting caught in an affair with a player as his wife is the head coach of the bowling team. And guys, this courtesy of the Lufkin Daily News, Charlotte, as the only writer here, the only true journalist, mm -hmm. I want you to grade this headline that we got from the Lufkin Daily News about this. Spare relationship causes awkward split. One to ten, where are we at? Ten out of ten, no notes. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, you, you couldn't have hit it any better. I mean, it, it, <laughs> you couldn't have struck that 710 any better, right? I mean, just incredible. And how, you know, guys are stupid, you know, as we know. How stupid can you be? I mean, and, well, and he's I love also, his quote. Yeah. His quote, I knew it was kind of a no-no, but there's not a rule saying it can't happen. There's not a law saying I'm going to jail for doing something like this. There's nothing in stone. I guess it's just an ethics code, like we frown upon it, but there's no rule. There's no law broken. You're an idiot, dude. I mean, you, are, you, you I'd, I'd rather break a law than deal with the wrath you're dealing with. Of course, he and his wife are now filed for divorce. I'd be really fearful of a burning bed situation, quite honestly. <laughs> 
He also went on to say that he had done all the work with the kids and he had volunteered on coaching the team. And then she finally brings him on and pays him and makes him run practice. So he was owed an affair, which is just an incredible way to justify sleeping with one of your players. I'm not going to lie. His wife, the Stugats is strong. If she really brought him on as assistant and got him to run all these practices and do all of this thing here, she was just sausage finger wagging all the way to the top. Apparently, this is also a very good bowling team. Um, we hope you enjoyed uh, a different kind of affair here on this show. If you did, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating. Check out wilderthings.substack for more of Charlotte's musings and hopefully NBA draft coverage with Pablo. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.